Hi, everyone, and welcome to the 18th episode of our second season. I'm Dana. And I'm Jason. Today, we are back in my hometown of Baton Rouge with a very special guest. But first, beer. You may have noticed that Jim isn't here today. He is in New York, but I have a very special co-host with me. It's my little brother, Jason. Thank you so much for sitting in for Jim. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Would you please do me the honors in letting people know what we are sampling today? Today, we are sampling the Abita Strawberry Lager, made with juicy, ripe Louisiana strawberries that were harvested at the peak of the season that gives this crisp lager its strawberry flavor and aroma. This beer was made with Pilsner and wheat malts and Vanguard hops. It is 4.2% ABV and 13 IBUs. Thank you, Dale. You want to taste a little bit? Cheers. No, you're not a big beer person. This is my favorite seasonal beer because it always means that it is springtime in Louisiana. And it's coming out around my birthday. <laughs> so I always look forward to having it. Like I said, we have a very special guest on the show in addition to my brother. It is my daddy, our daddy, <laughs> Reverend Lee T. Wesley. Welcome to the show, daddy. Well, it's good to be with my children on the show. <laughs> um, I just wanted to give a little uh, background about you before we get into anything else. You were born and raised in Baton Rouge. Correct. You grew up in an area called The Lake. That's correct. Why is it called The Lake? Because right down the street where we were living is a lake right at the end of the block. Uh, then further up, about five blocks from there, is another oh. lake. Uh and part of uh, Board Avenue, which was around the corner from us, used to be a lake. <laughs> so where we were born was surrounded by lakes. Therefore, the community was referred to as the lake. Are those lakes still there? Because I don't remember one seeing a lake. One of the lakes is still there. Okay. Um, a second one was kind of diverted, and it's over now behind the governor's mansion. Okay. Yes, so there is... How you divert a lake? Well, you, you, you cover up one and you build a stream from that one to another area. That sounds like a lot of work. It is. Hmm. Well, when you got money, you can do that. <laughs> uh, so you lived on the lake. Uh, you lived there from birth to... I was born at 801 <laughs> North 19th Street by a midwife. Uh, right next door to the dog and cat hospital. Oh. <laughs> we, we lived there until I was in the uh, eighth grade, and we moved to Miles Alley, which was about five blocks from uh, 19th Street. Okay. Then in the 10th grade, we upgraded and moved to 1734 Gracie Street. Upgraded because the house I was born in on uh, 19th Street and the house I lived in in Miles Alley was a shotgun house. Mm -hmm. So up until 10th grade, we lived in the house where there was what we call a living room, a middle room, <laughs> uh, which was a dining room and everything else, family room, uh, a kitchen and bedroom. So there was one bedroom in the house you were born in? One bedroom. And there so, were how many siblings when uh, you were? I had three. Mm -hmm. So we had what we call rollaway beds. Okay. 
And at night, we would roll out the bed, <laughs> let it out. The next morning, we would roll it away. <laughs> would you sleep in the living room? Is that what the rollaway thing In the living room, that's correct, yes. Wow, so that was an upgrade when you went to Gracie. It was a big upgrade. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my father working at a bicycle lawnmower shop. Uh, a bicycle a, lawnmower? As, as a mechanic. And uh, when I was about in the 11th grade, sometimes I would make deliveries with him. And we went down on Nickerson Drive, and I could not believe the big houses mm -hmm. and the big lots on mm -hmm. Nickerson Drive. And I said, one day, I'm going to have one just like that. <laughs> and you did. <laughs> that, was, that was my exposure outside of the lake. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> So, for people that don't know, when you were a little boy, um, segregation was a thing. So, yes. that's why when you say when you went to Nicholson, it was like going to the white part of town that was completely different no, it from... it was not like going to the white part of town. <laughs> it was going to the white part of town. Completely different. Mm -hmm. Completely different from where we, uh, where we live. You yes. never went to elementary, middle, uh, high no, school, all, college all with of, all anybody? All of my uh, school days, mm -hmm. including college was in a, a, a segregated system. Mm -hmm. EBR school system uh, integrated about five years after I had graduated mm -hmm. from high school. So I never had the experience of going to school mm -hmm. with anyone other than folk who look like me mm -hmm. and talk like me. Do you ever wonder what that would have been like had you been one of the first people that uh, had gone through desegregation? Not at all. Yeah, Not I wouldn't have all. wanted to Not be one all. of the first Not either. Not at all. Nor did that experience um, uh, give me uh, any feelings about myself that made me think I was less than anybody else. Mm -hmm. So, even though I grew up in a segregated community and experienced racism, uh, it, it did not deter me from believing that all people are basically good people. How would you have dealt with racism when you were little if you lived amongst only black people? When did you personally experience racism? Oh, Just I, an can, example. I, can, I can recall uh, in the 11th grade, I was in the, in, in the uh, drama program, in speech and drama. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were going to a rally in Slidell, mm -hmm. our drama team, because we had won the local competition. Mm -hmm. So we are going to the state competition mm. in Slidell. Uh, it was about five of us on the team going with our teacher, Mrs. Darensburg. And uh, we stopped at a service station to use the restroom. Mm. And the guy told us, not here. Mm. So that was really my first direct experience. And how old were you? With race. I was in 11th grade. Mm -hmm. My first direct experience with, with racism. Mm -hmm. yeah. At the time, so our Auntie Connie, your wife's mm -hmm. youngest sister, was part of that desegregation class at Baton Rouge High. Correct. Where Jason went to school. Have you ever talked to Auntie Connie about that, her experience? Yes. And uh, were you shocked or what did you feel? I wasn't shocked at all. Uh, it was a completely different experience from, mm -hmm. from what I had, but mm -hmm. seeing that she was the first class. And when you just learn historically about, in the southern United States, how integration was treated by mm -hmm. the majority class, mm -hmm. it was the first time where I'd heard stories where somebody that I shared blood with yeah. had gone through them. Yeah. But 
you know, you look at the pictures, you watch the documentaries, mm-hmm. you, you know, mm-hmm. as children, we all learn about Ruby Bridges. Mm-hmm. So understanding that, um, it wasn't shocking at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it, it just gave me something to compare Perspective. my my, mm-hmm. my experience 40 years later. Yeah. Because I know you're a big proponent of Baton Rouge High. Jason loves mm-hmm. him some Baton Rouge High. <laughs> well, during, during, during the uh, days of segregation... Not only were you segregated by terms of black and white, but there was also segregation within the black community itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, on the lake, we were all primarily dark-skinned, <laughs> even though my daddy was not. Everybody I went to school with primarily were dark-skinned. Really? Black. When I say dark-skinned, not black, brown. Yeah. Right. But very few, very bright. Really? Yes. In South Baton Rouge, for some reason, those with, with, with uh, some French in them settled mm-hmm. in the South Baton Rouge mm-hmm. area. So the theater in South Baton Rouge, the Lincoln Theater, on certain days, the French speaking, the French, the, those were black who were French and very light, mm-hmm. primarily went to St. Francis A. the Catholic Church also. Okay. On the day they went to the movie, we could not go. That was that day at the movie. What? And then as as time passed, it changed a little bit. They sat upstairs and we sat downstairs. So what would happen if you happened to go on their day? You would be turned away? You'd be turned away, yes. You'd be turned away. Turned away. Mm-hmm. Well, I've never heard that before. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. I can recall going to a theater in Hammond, which is about a 45-minute ride from... Baton Rouge. That's where I saw the movie Lilies of the Field. Mm-hmm. I sat upstairs with my folk, <laughs> and the white folk sat downstairs. Yeah, I'm, yeah. So I remember those days, you know. <laughs> That's I. I can't even imagine what that would have felt like, or what it would have done. Like you said, it didn't affect you, but I know Involved. it had to affect a lot of people's psyche. Like why? Yes. Yes. Why? But you yeah. say that and. Uh-huh. In in this day and age, we still have colorism. Very true. Yes. Very true. Among all races. Very yeah. true. But it's still very pronounced yeah. with, with black people. Yeah, especially in the South. Yes. Very much so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ooh, okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. I did, even though you are my daddy, I've known you for 44 years. I did some research. That's all. <laughs> That's it. As of today. Uh-huh. Happy anniversary, Lindsay and Jason. Thank you. You're welcome. Happy anniversary. <laughs> and how, how long have y'all been married? Five years. Five Five years. wonderful years. <laughs> yes, One, they did do. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> so I found out when you were 44 years old, that's when you decided to go into preaching. Yes. I've known since elementary school God had a call in my life uh, for ministry. But it was not something that I really wanted to do. Mm-hmm. When I came out of high school, my pastor at that time was George Claw. Uh, Which church, Daddy? Nazarene Baptist mm-hmm. Church. Without talking to me first, <laughs> talked to the deacons about sending me to seminary. Oh, really? And when he told me that, I literally laughed at him. I can remember <laughs> it like it was yesterday. Told him I didn't want nothing to do with no preaching. <laughs> and, and that was the end of that. Right, now, between my junior year and senior year in high school, we went to what was called at that time Bayou Boy State. 
Mm-hmm. They still, you, do they still have you, that? I think well, so. Bayou Boy State was the segregated version. Yes, yeah. Oh. We, we had Bayou Boy State, LSU had Pelican State. <laughs> gotcha. Right. So about 2,000 boys mm-hmm. from across the state would come to Southern University's campus. Mm-hmm. And we would actually set up a government all the way from city government to state government. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I went as a stater, that is, uh, as a participant mm-hmm. between my uh, junior year and senior year in high school, and I was elected governor by your boss state. Oh, nice! Right? So I became very close friends with Dr. Rodney Higgins, who's chairman of the political science department at Southern mm-hmm. and over Boy State. Okay, and he influenced me greatly in terms of going to government politics. Mm-hmm. So that was the end of the ministry. <laughs> but the time came. When I had to face the, the calling God had on my life. And I answered the call. At that time, I was running my own public relations agency. Mm-hmm. I was uh, uh, a state coordinator to John Bro, mm-hmm. who was running at that time for the U.S. Senate. Mm-hmm. It was at the end of his race, August, 18, August 1986, that I answered the call to the ministry. So I was 44 when I preached my first sermon. But I've been involved in church work all my life. Yeah. Yes. Well, you were heavily involved. I remember when I was a kid, mm-hmm. you being involved at St. Mary, where Mama grew up. St. Mary. Weren't you involved with the Sunday school there? Or? Yeah. What happened there, when, when Ruth and I married, she was a member of St. Mary. I was a member of Nazarene. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to join St. Mary. She didn't want to join <laughs> Nazarene. And what happened, Daddy? So we, we visited churches to find one that we wanted. A brand new church for the Other stu- churches. Okay. Churches. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If she was interested, I was not. If I was interested, <laughs> she was not. And her pastor, uh, Ramon T. Cabin, whom I had known for some time from the 4th District, approached me and said, look, I really need somebody to come help me build my Sunday school and my youth ministry. Mm-hmm. That's how I got it. St. Okay. Church. So when I went there, uh, I went there to build the Sunday school. Mm-hmm. And not the superintendent, but to work with the superintendent mm-hmm. building the Sunday school. And I built the youth ministry at mm-hmm. St. Mary. Mm-hmm. And helped put the plan together to build the church that's there now. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. Okay. Now, what happened, when I lived in Miles Alley... <laughs> The, the the guy who lived right next door to us was Reverend Lee Snowden, who oh. knew me from the day I was born. Mm-hmm. And he always said to me, boy, when you get ready to preach, come talk to me. He was the pastor of Alpine Baptist Church. So when I answered the call to the ministry, two people, I talked to three people. One, George Clark, my pastor. One, J.H. Freeman, who pastored New Guide Church who was three doors down from the house I was born in on 19th Street. And as a kid, I used to go down there and talk to him all the time. So Mm -hmm. we became Uh friends. And then Lee Snowden. I talked to those three. And uh, Lee Snowden asked me to come over and serve as his assistant pastor. That's how I got at Alpine. Okay. Mm -hmm. Wow. Reverend Stoughton in Alpine, that's my first memory of church. Reverend Stoughton in Alpine. It is? is that your, that's yeah, my first yeah. memory of church. Yeah, Reverend Stoughton in Alpine, who, who had a great impact mm-hmm. uh, on my life, as, as did George Clark and, and Reverend Freeman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what do you think they saw in you as a child that they kept saying that you're going to be I a minister? I have a book now that Reverend Clark gave me when I was about in the ninth grade. I was I was baptized by Reverend T. R. Provost, 
mm-hmm. who was then the pastor at Nazarene. I was seven years old. Mm-hmm. Two years later, when Provost left Nazarene to pastor the church in California, and Clark came to pastor Nazarene. So I was there okay. when Clark came. When I was in the ninth grade, he, 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 bought, he went to a convention, and when he came back, he brought a book he gave me, which I still have. The Young Theologian. Mm-hmm. So it was way back then that they saw something in me before I saw it in, my, in myself. What was it about um, going into ministry? Because I'm sure people had serious conversations with you. What was it about it that you... I, I saw it as uh, limiting. Okay. Okay? Most of the pastors that I knew in those days were completely uh, involved in church work. Mm-hmm. that did not spill over into the community. It was limited to that church, mm-hmm. what I do in terms of my Christian faith. Mm-hmm. But I did not see the church as having an impact on people's everyday lives, which it should have. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I, I, and second, the, the way the typical black pastor in those days, and to some extent now, delivered a message was not something I saw myself doing. Okay. Uh, and those two things really pushed me back from ministry. So I got heavily involved in community work mm-hmm. and uh, discovered that there are many opportunities to make an impact on the community through community work, through, through politics. Mm-hmm. But then I saw some limitations there also. Mm-hmm. So if you help a person... Uh, through some crisis they're going through in their life, but you don't give them some basic foundation, mm-hmm. spiritual, uh, uh, spirituality, sooner or later you're going back in the same place. Mm-hmm. So I see, and there was an article that appeared in the local paper after my third anniversary, how community and church merges together, and they really do. Now, since that time, churches have become more involved in community affairs, which which they should, should be. Mm-hmm. Okay. When you went mm-hmm. to Community Bible Baptist, was that already the name of the church? I don't remember. No, no. Uh, there was a congregation there mm-hmm. uh, prior to my going there that uh, had petered out. Okay, mm-hmm. it died, mm-hmm. and the church, Community Bible Baptist Church, uh, was built as a Presbyterian church. Okay, in a total white community. That area by Southern used to be white? Total white community. It wasn't the Southern community before. No, it was that the Standard Oil yeah, community. Yeah, that community grew up around Standard Oil. Oh. People who came there to work for the chemical company. Okay. Uh, settled in that community. Did not they, know that. They were close to work. So, <laughs> beginning in the early 60s, uh, the community began to transition. The whites who moved in, who were primarily low to middle income whites were doing better now. Mm-hmm. So they moved out of that community to upgrade. As those houses became available, blacks moved into those houses. Gotcha. So then the Presbyterian church was surrounded now by communities by 95% black. Mm-hmm. So they had to make a choice. Either serve this community or move out. They and they chose to move out? They weren't. Yes, happens wow. every day. Wow. So they, they moved to another location. They still exist, by the way. Okay. Oh, wow. So what happened is that a white businessman actually purchased that facility, mm-hmm. went to 
the Judson Baptist Association, which is white, and asked them if they would be interested in having the facility and starting a black congregation there. That's how we get that, that, that building. That building so we started off with about 23 members, not about, 23 members in April 1988. You sure it's 23, Daddy? 23. <laughs> <laughs> On the book. <laughs> and Dana and Jason used to come to church and would tell Daddy after church, Daddy, don't nobody ever be <laughs> And I would tell y'all, shut up. <laughs> Shut up and live. We would all sit on the front row yeah, and say, yeah, "Who ain't yeah, nobody yeah, here?" Nobody. <laughs> Come now. <laughs> We've been Alpine. Yeah, We've yeah, been yeah, Nazarene. Yeah. Come now. It's been thirty years, so come now. All right, yeah. I've read that um, Community Bible Baptist Church. You were saying is under uh, the predominantly white Southern Baptist Convention, right. and you got a lot of slack for that yeah, in the he, beginning. He, here it is. When I was sixteen years old, I was teaching uh, adult Bible Sunday school. Mm-hmm. At, at um, Nazarene. The Southern Baptist Convention, which is was all white at that time, every year sponsored VBS training for National Baptist Churches. National Baptist Churches is a black convention. Okay. And code word, vacation Bible school training for black churches. Is what <laughs> was. So I went to the Baptist building in Alexandria and I was impressed with their approach to evangelism and their literature, mm-hmm. some of the best in the world. So I said then at 16, if I ever become a pastor, I'm going to be Southern Baptist. So it was somewhere in the back of your mind, so, if I do this. Oh, look, I always knew mm-hmm. at some point in time. It evolved to that. So when I became a pastor, I led our church into the Southern Baptist Convention. Mm-hmm. Actually, we were uh, the second African-American Southern Baptist Church in, in Baton Rouge. So, but now, uh, we're who, always... Who was the first? The first was Douglas Avenue. Okay. They brought a guy in here from, uh, from Kansas, uh, 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 Willoughby. I think you've met. You have met Willoughby? Maybe so. Yeah, Willoughby, who, who passed it there. But it never really took off. So we are, we're listed as the first because we're the only one oh, wow. who started and, and, and remained there. Now, so... But now we are, we are, I took a lot of slack mm-hmm. when I joined because I came up in the Baptist, Black Baptist mm-hmm. Convention. But that didn't bother me. I mean, I, the question I asked myself, who can help me as a, as a new pastor, who can help me build a congregation? Southern Baptist, not National Baptist, in terms of all kind of resources and finances. Mm-hmm. So that's where I went. So for a long time, I had been blackballed from churches, black oh, churches really? in Baton Rouge. Yeah, I used to do a lot of speaking as lay, a lay speaker. And uh, for a number of years, nobody would have me speak nowhere in a black church really? in Baton Rouge. No, no. How long no, would you no. say uh, that was? It actually lasted until I went to Plymouth Rock. Really? When I went to Plymouth Rock 17 years ago. Plymouth Rock is a National Baptist Church. So I'm back in now. The National Baptist. You you follow me? Yeah. Uh-huh. But it didn't bother me. It didn't, it didn't bother me at all. Uh, Did members of your own church say something to you? Like, why would you do that? We shouldn't do that. When I told Reverend Clark mm-hmm. I was joining Southern Baptist Convention, he had a fit. <laughs> Physical fit. <laughs> 
So what I did, because I had a relationship with all these black pastors, I just went around and told them what I was going to do before I did it. That's smart. So when we had a meeting of the association, I asked for personal privilege, and uh, they recognized me. I said, gentlemen, I've been praying about something, and I want to let you all know what I have decided. I've already talked to some of y'all. I said, uh, God is getting ready to bless me, and I never turn down God's blessing. His blessing is coming through the Southern Baptist Convention, mm -hmm. so that's why I'm joining and that's why I joined. And did they react or they? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's been a good experience. And I look, I have no regrets at all. I'm completely uh, accepted, not just being brother blacks in the convention. Um, Florida Boulevard Baptist Church is one of the oldest churches around, total white church. I was the first black pastor to preach in the pulpit of Florida Boulevard wow. Baptist Church. What year was that? Uh, oh, Lord. That's... Approximately. A, a number of years ago. Okay. <laughs> uh, the, the association at the time, our association, the Baptist Association of Greater Baton Rouge, uh, which consists of, at that time, about 107 churches wow. in East Baton Rouge, West Baton Rouge, Point Copee, um, Ipleville, and a few, an Ascension pastor. I was... I, the, when they were 116 years old, I was elected as a moderator of that wow. convention, the first moderator of that wow. convention. So I never allowed my color mm -hmm. to hold me back mm -hmm. and never will. Mm -hmm. I've read somewhere that you mm -hmm. said that uh, you've been building a bridge between whites and blacks your whole life. So my that, whole life. That's why mm -hmm. it didn't seem like a big deal to you when no you joined them. Right. And yeah. That's why you uh, yeah. were easy, yeah. easily it's, able it's, to do it's, that. Easy to do that. You, you can look. Be yourself. Mm -hmm. That's all. Be yourself. I don't, I don't flaunt being black. I don't flaunt being Southern Baptist. I just be who I am, mm -hmm. wherever, wherever I am. Mm -hmm. Now, sometimes I'll make a joke with them uh, to keep them on their toes. Okay? <laughs> we, we are in our share one with you. The state convention executive director... Uh, is retiring, mm -hmm. and he's announced his retirement. The administration committee of the convention has a responsibility of recommending somebody to replace him. Mm -hmm. I'm vice president of the administration committee. So we're having a meeting on a procedure of how we're going to do this. And I said, listen, I didn't say anything. I'm the only, only black on the committee. I sat there and listened to everything they, they said. Mm -hmm. So finally, one of them turned to me and said, well, Brother Lee, you haven't said anything during this whole discussion. I said, no, I haven't. I said, now, brothers, don't misunderstand me. My silence is not an indication of my not being interested. Mm -hmm. But my mother taught me never get involved in white folk business. <laughs> <laughs> they laughed at it. Yeah, yeah. Break the tension. Yeah. You know? Break the tension. <laughs> so you got to learn how they to do that. He ain't said nothing. <laughs> <laughs> <That's right. laughs> I wanted to touch on a little bit of a Together Baton Rouge for those that don't know. Can you yes. explain what that is Together, and how it got started? Yeah, Together Baton Rouge is uh, a faith-based organization that crosses racial, denominational, educational, geographical, cultural lines. At this time, we have 46 
institutions that make up together Baton Rouge. Mm. Churches, uh, community, faith-based community organizations, sororities, Southern, mm. Louisiana Nursing Association, Louisiana Education Association, wow. a, part, a part of that. And it's designed to uh, address some systemic, systemic issues here in East Baton Rouge Parish mm-hmm. that can only be addressed by uh, a group of people that represent the parish as a whole. Uh, it started some 13 years ago. And actually, Jason played a role in helping us get started. You didn't know that. That's your not. What did Jason yeah. do? Well, I'll tell you. Uh, I had been a part of a number of community organizations that would crop up and then disappear. Uh-huh. You know, an issue would come up. The last issue that came up dealt with crime in the black community. Mm-hmm. And we had this big meeting at uh, a big local church here. Over a thousand people showed up. And I don't know if you were there, Jason. I was there. Uh, all of this grand stuff mm-hmm. that we were going to do, we didn't do any of it. Wow. So I said to myself in a small group of African American pastors, I'm not going to be a part of anything that cannot be sustained. Yes. I'm not going to be part of anything that is all black mm-hmm. because they're black and white folk in East Baton Rouge Parish. We can't do it by ourselves. We, we need them. Mm-hmm. I'm looking for an organization that can sustain itself. Well, actually, it was through um, the election of Obama that I learned about IAF, mm-hmm. the organization that trained him in community, uh, mm-hmm. uh, community organizing. Jason was working for, uh, what's the... What's SEIU. SEIU. Yeah, the labor union. The labor union. And I'm looking for somebody who's connected with IAF. This guy comes in, asks Jason if he know any black pastors in Baton Rouge. <laughs> Jason said, oh, yeah, I know at least one. <laughs> <laughs> so, Kara Perkins and I met at uh, McDonald's on Government Street. That was the beginning of Together Baton I never knew that. Yes. Hey, Jason Wesley. <laughs> all so he gave me the hookup. <laughs> and, all, and all started after that. <laughs> you guys have done a lot in the community, mainly um, for the flood that happened a few years yes. ago. You guys did a lot of help with um, getting people to get together, like clean people's houses, right. help them get all the, mm-hmm. the stuff out that was molded, right. get clothes for mm-hmm. them. That was very big for the community. Frankly, that was not our intent to get directly involved. Mm. We started off with a volunteer group mm-hmm. and we, we went on social media and asked people if they needed some help mm-hmm. to contact us. And the contact was just overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Didn't have enough volunteers to do that. So we went to the Baton Rouge Area Foundation and they gave us enough money to hire, I forgot how many people. And a lot of the people we hired were people who had been uh, mm-hmm. displaced themselves yeah. by the flood. So that's how we got that. and But it worked out good. We helped a lot of folks. We helped a lot yeah, of Yeah, it was yes. beneficial yeah. for me mm-hmm. and people that live mm-hmm. in New York mm-hmm. um, because most of our family mm-hmm. lost their homes. Yes. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. my mother's oldest mm-hmm. sister, uh, Auntie Tia, Mary mm-hmm. Bailey, mm-hmm. she's a thin woman, and she yeah. was having problems finding clothing right. that was being donated. Mm-hmm. So I took to social media and mm-hmm. asked my local friends, and mm-hmm. It was overwhelming, the response yeah. I got, and I went to Roy Dolan's mm-hmm. uh, local restaurant mm-hmm. where we had our wedding reception mm-hmm. and asked Roy, the owner, do mm-hmm. you mind if I set up a box 
and just have people donate mm-hmm. and people also giving money. Right. So then I had to figure out, well, I have so many clothes. How am I going to ship it down? Mm-hmm. So my friend's father, Mr. Muller, said, mm-hmm. oh, I saw you on News 12 mm-hmm. uh, doing this fundraiser. Mm-hmm. I have a group together, the Eagles mm-hmm. in Austin. We'd like to do a fundraiser mm-hmm. for you. So mm-hmm. I got the fundraiser going. That's how we had the money to ship it down. Yeah. And I had money left over to send you a check. Right. So it just all worked yeah. out. And people... Other people asked, well, what can I do? I said, well, send money to Together Baton yeah. Rouge directly. Yeah, you were of great help in helping us raise the money and get the clothes for people. Then through Southern Baptist and the national connect, connection I have, we had churches that sent 18 wheelers down. Yeah. With all kinds of, yeah. all kind of stuff. Yeah. So that, that worked out. That worked out. And it's really. nice just, you know, every once in a while being shown that there is kindness in the world and there are it good is. people. So it, it was just, it, it was just good to see. Yeah, it, it is. That worked out good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. Trying to think. I threw some curveballs at mm-hmm. mom. I don't want to do that to you. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. That's what has it been like for you growing up in Baton Rouge and seeing the difference from when you were a child to when Jason and I were going to school? It's, um, it's satisfying to see the progress that we've made in Baton Rouge. Now, we still have a long ways to go, mm-hmm. but we have come uh, a great deal from where we were. The mere fact that we have uh, a black elected mayor, mm-hmm. female, yeah. speaks to that progress. Mm-hmm. Before her, a black mayor who lasted through three terms, mm-hmm. uh, elected his second term with over 70% of the vote. Wow. So we've seen a lot of progress that black and white churches meet together, mm-hmm. that, the Baton Rouge, that together Baton Rouge can't operate mm-hmm. When I was a child, that never would happen. Uh-huh. That never would happen. So it's it's great. It's great. That's very yeah. very yeah. good. And it 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 re uh, affirms your faith in people. Yes. Yes. Uh, it is always yes. always Reaffirms a good your faith thing. In people. Yes. What do you think about Louisiana as a whole? Just like the culture and the food, and because I come home mm-hmm. and people are like, well. I told somebody, mm-hmm. I can't wait to go home and have crawfish. Mm-hmm. And his response was, ooh, you eat them things? <laughs> so we all eat it. <laughs> That's because they have not experienced it. Okay? <laughs> That's because, of, yeah. You, 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 are, you are a product of your environment. Mm-hmm. And when people have not come in that environment, it's foreign. It's yeah. foreign to them. Yeah. 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 But I think Louisiana is a state unlike any other state. I'm sure everybody feels like oh, their state any, is like any. that, but no, it not. is a complete different world down I don't here. Think I think. A state like yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're one of a kind. Yeah. With the with the background of the Cajuns and That's the Creoles right. yeah. and the music and the food. It's we like want, no we, other we place. Yeah, with yeah. people literally living off the land and that's right. anything yeah. that comes out of a bayou, even to the nutrients. Yeah, they eat it all. They eat everything. There's <laughs> a purpose. Nothing they goes to waste. That's right. You people, people work hard and play hard down that's here. Right. Is what it, I think. We eat it all. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite um, local delicacy? Catfish. By itself on a po' boy? What's oh, the no, catfish and potato salad. Now, is it the potato salad? I grew up with that was yellow. I don't know how old I was when yes. I saw the uh, potato salad had mayonnaise in it. I always thought it was yeah. mustard. <laughs> no, uh, uh, I don't like a lot of mayonnaise in my potato salad. Uh-huh. So I like homemade potato salad because most of the potato salad in the restaurant is restaurants. Mm-hmm. 
is not like that that my mother made. Mm -hmm. It's something else. I don't know mm -hmm. why they call it potato salad, yeah. but it's not potato salad. It's okay. usually loaded down in mayonnaise. That's yes, why. No, no, no. I like homemade potato salad. My favorite dish mm -hmm. is rice and gravy, <laughs> tofu, <laughs> stewed chicken, mm -hmm. off the bone, and potato salad. <laughs> it's my favorite dish. What is your least favorite dish? Spaghetti. <laughs> Why, Daddy? I don't. I don't like spaghetti. <laughs> I don't think you've ever seen me eat no. spaghetti. Any kind of pasta, I've never seen and, you eat. And you will not. <laughs> I just don't like it. I don't like the taste. I don't like the looks of it. I don't like the taste. Of it. I don't like it. Well, Jason, what is your favorite uh, local dish? That's tough. Well, give me a few of them. <laughs> right now, I like homemade boudin. Really? Because I have a neighbor whose mother is from Opelousas. Wow. Oh, wow. And she comes about three times a year. And <laughs> you looking for her? <laughs> I will call her. I called her for Easter. Is your mama coming? <laughs> and I went and ate over there before I came to eat over here. <laughs> for the listeners that don't know what boudin is, explain that to them. It is, it is a Cajun sausage mm -hmm. that's the that's the best way that i can describe it it's 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 got more flavor than traditional sausage than a frankfurter mm -hmm. than a, a pierogi mm -hmm. or any, any of that it stuff is spicy. It's, it's very spicy, spicy. yes that's that's what makes it a cajun mm -hmm. sausage mm -hmm. what is your least favorite dish i'm almost with daddy spaghetti what? <laughs> Lindsay, yeah, yeah. Lindsay has stopped making spaghetti at home because she ends up throwing most of it out. You never liked it? It's just, if I'm very hungry, I will eat it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One final question for the two of you. Daddy, chitlins, yes or no? Oh, yes. yes, yes. If, if, if you don't eat chitlins... You you you're not a a a a, a born Louisiana person, you know. I must not be a I born was Louisiana person. No, no. Y'all had us somewhere else. Never put one in my mouth. It never smells will. so bad. How do you even get it to your face? Oh, I don't. When when it's on the plate, you don't smell it. Oh, I do. No, you don't. When you smell open it. up that bucket. Oof. See, that's oh, no. that's the privilege of growing up in our generation. <laughs> Previous generations had to <laughs> eat chitlins because right. that's, that's right. what they yeah. had. They didn't need it. They didn't need. We can yeah. say yeah. no, thank yeah. you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and go to McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> so this, this is the way it worked in my household with my mother. We're, now, unlike times now. My dear cooked every day, mm -hmm. all right? Wednesday was an off day, so there was always <laughs> red bean and rice. Uh -huh. I knew that. The children knew that. People in school knew that. <laughs> uh, Reverend Leo Cyrus used to have, man, Maddie cooking them red beans. <laughs> Everybody knew that. Uh, but she, she, she set the table. Uh -huh. we, 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 we ate at the table. Mm -hmm. we, didn't, we didn't have... Uh, these trays where everybody the, in their room. The TV eats. trays and all no, that, we yeah. Ate the table. Mm -hmm. So she put the food on the table. Mm -hmm. And one of us would say, My dear, I don't I don't eat that. She said, That's okay. That's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> so you end up eating some stuff. Because <laughs> you hungry. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Include chili. Uh, you have any other questions, Drew? No, but I just want to say I really enjoyed this. Yeah. It's been great. I appreciate being interviewed by my 
young 44-year-old daughter <laughs> and my youngest son. I love both of you. Thank you so I'm much. I'm so excited that you both agreed to do this. I've been excited since you both said yes. And I get to sit down with my two favorite yeah, people, yeah, the Wesley yeah. men. So yes. thank you both. I love you both dearly. Thank this you. We love you. So love much you. fun. And happy birthday. Thank happy you. Birthday to you. Uh, yeah. Listeners, if you're thirsty for more, you can get us on any podcast platform, uh, Anchor, Speaker, Spreaker, Stitcher, Google Play, uh, look us up. We'll be there. Thank you so much, guys. Next time.